You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello and welcome to another edition of Global Trade This Week. My name is Doug Draper. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm actually coming to you this week from a lake house in, uh, in Wisconsin. I have a funny story to share about that, but I need to introduce my partner in crime, uh, Mr. Pete Mento, who's the co-host of the show. Pete, what's going on? Man, you, two days, or excuse me, two weeks in a row, you got a collared shirt on. So, so <laughs> how's the new job? <laughs> it's great, um, but I am I am at the corporate headquarters, so I do have to dress like an adult mm -hmm. um, when I come here, seeing as how I do have a rather adult job, just like you, um, but I do have to dress like an adult just in case someone important comes by, you know? So yeah. I do like the new, the new Draper look. I, I, I love this. I love the whole, is it rock, rock, chalk, Jayhawk? Did I say it right? Rock, chalk, Jayhawk. And uh, I got my little guard shirt off. So when I'm on the, uh, on the lake, I can be uh, responsible. Yeah. But Hey, global trade this week is an important show. It needs to be weekly like the name. And so, uh, yeah, I'll peel off the lake, get this thing done and, and go back and enjoy life. So here, so here's the funny story, Pete, and we can jump into it. So rural uh, Wisconsin, right? It's just, it's just a whole nother world. So I'm driving um, just uh, yesterday. We just got in yesterday. And I make this left-hand turn kind of out in the middle of nowhere, small town. And there's a sign that's leaned up on this table in the front yard of this house. And it says local honey for sale. And it's in masonry jars. And there's a cash box on the table with a rock on top of it. So I was like, wow, I got to see what this is about. I pulled over to check it out. I opened up the cash box. Literally, there's cash in there so you can make your own change. And I'm like, only, first of all, that gives me such good, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the world is not implo imploding. And it's just a little example that there's still good people out there and trustworthy areas of, of the country. But I was just, I'm like, only in the middle of Wisconsin can you have a lockbox of money with a rock on it <laughs> and a table that says honey and, and everything else. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, Doug, also, you know, honey's not easy to get. So the fact they've got all that honey just hanging around, you know, got your inventory out for any any scumbag freight salesman like you right to come steal. That's I know. I know. I was thinking but that. I'm a big believer in local honey. If you have allergies, you should put that in some tea. It really does help. It really does help. Yeah. And I heard that like it truly needs to be like hyper local within a couple of, you know, two to five miles. Uh, you know, that's the, yep. that's where you want to yeah. pull the honey from those bees. Doug, I think we've talked about this before. Don't get me started about bees. I am <laughs> fascinated by them. I am fascinated by them. So if you get me started talking about them, this will be a two hour podcast and we don't want that. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the podcast is about global trade, transportation, and logistics. So let's get it started, my friend. I opened it up so you get the first topic. Well, I texted you guys this morning and I told you we're going to have to talk more about yellow. Um, you know, we, 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 we got into it last week. It was your topic. And that just sort of opened it up to a broader labor conversation. But uh, I believe it's Jason O'Brien. Is that his name? The gentleman who represents the Teamsters? He... Uh, he is he is fascinating to follow on Twitter, if you are not. And last week, the good people at Yellow just came out and said, because of the way that we did our integrations, we have some 
we have some internal issues that are forcing us to restructure. It's going to take us a while, but we're not doing so well financially. And if you force us to work under these contracts, we, we may legitimately be in a position where we're not going to be able to operate anymore. And, you know, you read that and you're like, that's you know, pretty honest. Um, I don't, not a lot of publicly traded companies will come out and say that in public, you know? And he sends out a, a tweet that basically says, that's not our problem. Like you guys lost, was it 37 or something, $38 million in the last two years. That sounds like a yellow problem. Um, and then he puts a picture up of a gravestone with yellow on it, their logo on it, buddy, with like the years. And it's like, you figure your stuff out. You agreed to a contract with labor, figure it out. You know, you're, you're not going to continue to use us as a, a leverage point. And their attorney was also quoted. Um, he had a great line. He said, people have to stop looking at labor like a variable cost and logistics. And that has been stuck in my head since I read that article, Doug. He said, you, you know, you look at fuel like it's a variable cost, but now you just know it goes up and down and you have to deal with it. Labor is the same way. Labor gets more expensive and less expensive. It's something you have to manage as a professional in this industry. I was like, wow, you know, and um, you read those, but, you know, to the credit of yellow, they're not taking the bait. Um, as far as I can see, they're not coming back like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you a thing. Like they're, they're yeah. keeping it above board, but. The labor disputes, uh, UPS and Yellow, O'Brien's been saying in both of them, like, I, I know it's awful, but boy, is it entertaining. Um, his tweets are very, very entertaining. But, Doug, I mean, we're in a situation now where you have a serious, major, very important company. I think there's only three that are still union. That's saying that we would rather our people have to go find other jobs than be paid less than we believe that they're worth. And that's a sign of how important labor has become and sort of, I, I believe, and I could be very wrong about this, but I believe that we're seeing a systematic cultural shift in Americans' attitudes towards organized labor. I think towards more towards organized labor since the pandemic and um, you know the way things have been going with the labor markets these last couple of years. So it just really got my attention, Doug. And you know, we, we touched on it last week, but this do you think they would really go through with it? Do you think they would go through with letting the whole thing? collapse rather than renegotiate i don't you know you made a comment before the air Twenty-two thousand employees teamsters and, truckers uh, yeah you know if i was one of those and i'm like hey i'm all for the team and and um but i still like you said earlier i have a mortgage to pay my kids in football camp you know my wife's in transition or whatever it may be have somebody control my destiny like that and take it to the nth degree and watch it go off the cliff, I'd be pretty pissed off. So <clears throat> that's just a big, big company. You know, it's almost too big to fail. I don't know if that's the right term to use here, but holy cow, does he control a lot of people in his hands um, with flippant tweets like that, right? I don't know if flippant's the right word, but just off the cuff. So I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting scenario. And the one thing, Pete, that I noticed, I, I was Looking back, it seems like yellow has always been in, been in trouble. I would like 2008, I think, or 2009, they were close to bankruptcy and they were on a thread and they kind of made that through. It just seems like yellow has always had difficulty trying to get, uh, to get situated. And oh, by the way, you and I and the rest of the people listening here just gave them a $700 million loan from the government. Um, 
through the CARES Act yeah. back during COVID. Right. And like, where did that go? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, crazy. Uh, it's just, and, and how many companies do we know of size that have not just been running around to shareholders like, look at all this money over the past couple of years. And, and now the, you know, the, that was when the market was insane. So how are they going to get by now that the market mm -hmm. has really started to take a, a drastic turn down? This is just, it's incredible, but it's, you know, you were saying, do you really trust your union that much? And I guess it's up to them to vote and make that decision. We've had this conversation before, you know, as, as laborers, we are, we are agreeing to, take our precious time and use it towards shareholder value or ownership value. And you've got to determine what that value is. And if they're not willing to value it at a basis you think is valuable, you mm -hmm. got to find someplace else to work. But collective bargaining makes it a little more harder, a lot more harder to do that as an individual, but it gives you a lot more strength when you do it as a group. So I just, you know, I'm going to do a trade school on Friday. I'm going to talk about this, Vancouver, UPS, all of it. it it's uh, Doug, it's, it just seems like uh, I can't remember labor having more of a, uh, a disruptive input uh, in, into our business than it has right now in our, in our, yeah. our career. Yeah. Well, you got parcel LTL and ocean freight. That's all being affected by that to some degree. So it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's man. crazy. So um, yeah, my first topic is a little bit along those lines and I'm sure you have, been aware, well, maybe not, but uh, today and tomorrow is Prime Days, Amazon Prime Days. Um, and so a couple things when I heard about that. Um, first of all, first thing is my family is probably going to make some purchases in the next 48 <laughs> hours, so I need to be aware of that. Um, the, the second thing, it, it, um, the good news is UPS and, and, um, and, and Yellow Prime days will have come and gone and packages been delivered, whether it's LTL or parcel, before yeah. any of the uh, labor situations come to a head. So don't worry about it. Your packages will get delivered. It won't be problematic. Um, so that's one thing that, uh, that caught my attention. The other one is it's starting to pull in other retailers. You know, I think uh, Best Buy for the last couple of years has said, well, we're going to run a uh, you know, sale in, in, uh, in concert as well as Walmart and Target. So Amazon by itself has almost created a, a mid-year holiday by, uh, by putting this out. I think years ago, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but whenever they really amped up their own delivery network, it was almost like a test run to prepare for, uh, for Q4. So let's run a special sale in the middle of summer and see what we can come up with. So it's interesting that, that uh, their directive has brought other uh, retailers on. And then the, the third piece is, Everybody's kind of cleaning their closet out, right? Think of it as a, as a yard sale because although the purchase orders are smaller, um, I've seen that in my industry with, with uh, inventory levels um, starting to decrease because the POs that are coming in for fourth quarter are smaller than they were during the COVID era. Is that people are like, we got to get this stuff out of here. We're going to fire sell this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what the holiday peak looks like because if, if, if companies... Um, you know, get rid of uh, their inventories and the replenishment isn't quite as high, does that mean the sales in the holiday season aren't going to be as aggressive? So is this kind of the, the best last final to get really good deals uh, for the rest of the year? So anyway, people are going to get rid of it, but there won't be an uh, won't be impacted with, uh, with parcel or LTL on the strikes and the labor issues we've been talking about. But it's always nice to to see Prime and how much they have shifted 
and controlled consumer buying habits and how other companies respond and react, which is a, which is essentially just me too, right? So anyway, it'll be fun to see how, uh, you know, Wednesday, well, tomorrow's Wednesday, so Thursday, there'll be all kinds of statistics about how much uh, business they sold and the throughput. So that'll be interesting to see. I love it. I, I um, as, as a uh, spectator of American consumption, there are few things as exciting as these these consumer holidays like like Black Friday mm-hmm. um, or, or Way Day. That's what we had at Wayfair. Prime Days here with Amazon. I think they're incredible. And the fact that it's become something that folks look forward to. You know, it's like, well, you know, I was thinking about buying that new big TV, but I think we can wait. I think we should probably wait till till Prime Days because I'm sure we can get a hell of a deal. And they, they you know, they, they really do, like you said, they're cleaning out their, their inventory as much as they can to get to it. But I'm wondering is, you know it's going to happen every year. So I'm sure that there's some people a lot smarter than me that have done a lot of analysis to understand you know, how to set themselves up for that inventory moment and to buy to suit. Um, that might've happened in the past, but given COVID, I'm sure a big part of this, like you said, it's just trying to clear out what they've got and get ready for Christmas. So I'll be fascinated to see what those numbers are like, buddy. Really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. You know what else is fascinating, Pete, is the segment of our show called Halftime. It's brought to you by, that's a pretty good segue, I have to admit. Um, brought to us by Cap Logistics. We were just talking to Keenan. He pushes the button and the levers, as I say. So it's always great to have those, and we appreciate their support. So caplogistics.com if you have questions on, uh, on supply chain. So, Pete, I like yours. Uh, we'll get you all fired up, and then I'll, I'll do my second. So let her rip on halftime. Yeah, so uh, a lot of stuff in the news these last couple of weeks about people just losing it. That, that's the only way I can put it, Doug. So there was the there was the young woman who was on a plane and, and said, I have to get off because I, I mean, you don't, you can believe me or not believe me, but there's like, there's Puritans or, you know, old timey people out on that wing and I can't be on this plane. <laughs> um, and, and then there's, there's this rash of people starting fights on planes and getting mm-hmm. violent on planes. You've got people getting violent at airports. That's a problem. Then you've got these idiots that are throwing things at, at uh, concerts now. And people like Adele um, are saying, go ahead, throw something at me. I will stop performing. See if I care. And, um, you know, the road rage, uh, folks starting fights at fast food restaurants. The hell is wrong with people, Doug? Mm-hmm. And I, I went down a rabbit hole this weekend looking at it because I was wondering what do people that you know, sociologists say, and of course they say COVID had a lot to do with this. People were lonely. They forgot how to act in public. It's a drinking, lots of drinking, lots of recreational drug use, lots of stress. Um, but they said they can't blame mental illness for all of it. it. Just They just can't. It just seems like a, a social contagion almost. And my, um, you know, my Mima had a great way of putting it, man. It's, Y'all got to act right. And that's just, you know, that might be a little too Texan for some people, but it's like, who, you know, did your parents raise you well enough to realize that they might not have the McRib tonight, so you might need to get a quarter pounder instead at the McDonald's rather than ripping stuff off of the counter and starting fights with people? And I worked in fast food when I was a teenager, and it was very boring. I probably would have welcomed an opportunity to throw down with some drunk people at you know, 10 o'clock at night when I was a teenager. But Doug, what is, what is going on with people that they're just freaking out all over the country, man? 
Yeah. It's well, here's the good news. I was on a plane yesterday from Denver to Milwaukee. Everything was calm and cool. We were actually delayed I don't know, an hour and a half. The crew was late and everything. So there was a little uh rumblings. But yesterday for uh, my flight it was uh pretty smooth sailing. But I don't know, I guess I'd say two things. Insert alcohol and there's always problems. Yeah. And then um number two. It's the ability to get likes and shares and views, right? If you look like, I could go on right now to um, any one of the social medias and be able to pull up some freak out, you know, it's even promoted. There's channels on Reddit and everything else, you know, public freak out where you can just go and watch people lose it. So I think, I think that has something to do with it. And, um, you know, alcohol and there's a camera everywhere you are. So it's getting captured more, but the craziness, like you said, throwing stuff on stage and hitting performers. It just seems like it's just, you know, going to the nth degree. Yeah. yeah y'all got to act right. Uh, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll just say it again. Y'all got to act right. You get, you got to knock this off because ultimately what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to see the people that you love performing. Is that what you want? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm that guy, man. I, I wish somebody would get up on my plane, Doug. Like I, I have been training for so long to choke somebody out. Please, <laughs> please get up. And, and like, who are these people with their cameras out? Put your camera down and do something. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, oh man, like I'm telling you right now, if one of my boys is on the plane. Be like, you ready to go? You ready to go? One of my sons or my rugby buddies be like, it's like I would be. It would be like the prom and 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 prime day all wrapped up into one for me, Doug. I'd be up in that <laughs> aisle, you know. Um, just yeah. throwing haymakers and ground and pounding. I'd be so fired up. You, ugh. Hmm. Yeah. So I wish somebody would on my flight. I took one this morning. Everybody was snoring. Not a problem. Yeah, I wish yeah. somebody would. Though. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into something that's made a little bit of news recently. Um, the Northern Lights, uh, I guess Aurora Borealis, more commonly referred to as Northern Lights, 17 states. I think it's Thursday. So two days from now um, is uh, 17 states will be able to, to see it. So I was like, always heard of it, kind of know what it's about. So here's a logistician's perspective of it, right? I'm going to dumb it down. So the lights actually um, take place like 80 miles up into the atmosphere. But here, here's the, the, the basis is there is a, uh, a storm, right? A solar storm that happens on, on the sun. Those particles give off, you know, electrically charged particles, and then they collide with, you know, the magnetic fields that uh, in in the Earth's atmosphere, the magnetic nature of it pulls it to the North and the South Pole, and then our atoms and molecules interact with their electrons and yada, 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 you get some pretty cool lights. Um, And so apparently there's a pretty large solar flare that's going to happen. So... I'm excited for it. I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere in uh, Wisconsin. I will be maybe on a lake. Maybe we'll get on the boat and go check it out in the middle of nowhere without any uh, light distractions. But it, um, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. I like to talk about it uh, as far as on the show goes here and just really understand it. So I don't know. Have you ever seen the Northern Lights? When I was uh, a teenager shipping on the Great Lakes, I got to see them. They're beautiful. They really were. So I get it. It's it's all the things that we see in our regular interaction with the environment around us. You don't see the sky just start shimmering in all these different colors. And mm-hmm. I saw them again in Alaska when I was a bit older. 
Uh, New Hampshire is one of those states where we're going to have pretty good visibility. And because we don't have as much light pollution up north, there's a lot of people from New England that are driving to Maine and New Hampshire to get a good look at it. And, you know, pretty good explanation, Doug, all those semesters of meteorology. I forgot almost all of it, but I, I do remember that it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, like, it's a magnetic storm, essentially, of those particles, yeah. like you said. And it really is, it's just beautiful. So there's somewhere out in Colorado, I don't know exactly where it is. I bet Keenan knows. He's probably sitting there, like, you know, munching on his kind bars right now, drinking his kombucha, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. like he's going to tell us where it is. <laughs> there's there's, uh, there's some, some place in America, like the best place in America to not have light pollution is somewhere in Colorado. And it's so good that without a microscope, you can see the Milky Way from the naked eye. So if, if you guys are in Colorado and you're going to have it, I mean, you're probably going to have some of the best viewing in the whole country to see it. You should absolutely get out there and check it out. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about in Colorado, but uh, it really? probably exists. It exists. Yeah. Uh, I saw a CBS This Morning show about it that um, – really got deep on the fact that it's just so perfect and like stargazers from all over the country come with their telescopes because they just get a much better um much better view so yeah interesting it's probably a southwest part of colorado on the border of utah out there but anyway back to the show my friend since uh yeah. cap logistics gave us that five minutes of banter let's get back to uh to global trade so what's your topic number two I had to write down some numbers here to make sure I got them right, Doug. But um, we're, according to the, um, a number of different global organizations, so the World Trade Organization, um, the World Bank, CSCMP, we believe that uh, amongst those groups, our industry believes that the cost of transportation and global trade as a whole will be increasing around 4% or about $800 billion. And um, that will be due to the modernization of vessels to live up to the IMO, International Maritime Organization's requirements to be um, better on the environment. So to deal with their, uh, you know, their, their carbon emissions. And when all this came out, all the air, all the ocean carriers, you know, we all signed on to these pledges. They said they'd make it happen. And now they're all very worried because they're doing all that they can to say, this is, look how expensive this is going to be. It's going to increase all the cost of your freight. We're going to have less ships, just like COVID all over again, you know. But they went out and they bought all these new vessels that did not have the necessary, um, not at all of them. I can't say all of them. Many of the vessels that were purchased globally did not have the necessary technology to deal with the carbon emissions. So it's it's all these companies that wave the green flag all the time. If you're going to, if you're going to go out there and espouse that sort of mentality, you need to live it as well. And um, much like when we talked last, was it last week about the air carrier security changes? And I said, no soup yeah. for you. I've got, a, I've got a similar attitude about these ocean carriers. You, you need to do this before it's 20 years from now. And we're finally forcing you to do it. You promised you would step up, get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, because you don't see the movement Very of the much. vessel. You know, you see it in the horizon when it leaves the port and you see it, you know, backed up in uh in LA Long Beach or, or uh, Vancouver as it is right now. But one thing I, I didn't know, I mean, I've been in the industry for a long time. You always hear about bunker fuel and doing some research. That's like the, the dregs. It's like the bottom of the barrel, yeah. crappy oh, yeah. sludge, uh, you know, fuel that's, that's just dumping into these things, right? I'm just pitch, picturing a guy shoveling 
instead of shoveling coal, it's just drippy, thick sauce that they're putting in these uh, vessels to make them go. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, you know, they're, they're not pumping diesel, uh, pulling up uh, both sides here at a lake. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, I don't know if it's just a little bit of improvement. We'll check the boxes and the compliance that needs to be met or if it's going to be major overhauls. I also heard that the technology to get it to, you know, levels that's really going to be impactful just isn't quite there yet, right? So yeah. we're trying to hit these standards with technology that may not be able to get it there as efficiently or cost effective. So it, it's a big, big topic that doesn't make a lot of a lot of headlines until you wonder why the hell is this uh, this ocean freight rate just jumped 500 bucks because of bunker fuel. That bunker fuel, the smell of it, just remembering it right now, Doug, makes me a little sick to my stomach. And uh, <laughs> hey, I got no problem doing less than container loads on on ocean clippers again and sending us out there on wooden ships and letting the sea and the and the wind take us where we got to go ask me if i care right i'll go back out there um mm -hmm. just be waiting two and a half months maybe for your stuff but we'll see you know <laughs> yeah i've, I've kind of had it with the um this attitude that it's going to cost a lot of money well we just got through that didn't we so i think if we're going to do this let's do it let's just stop talking about it let's do it yeah yeah cool all right buddy Bring us home. Yeah, so my final one is related to, I think, the third trip from uh, politicians from America going over to China to have a, a meeting that doesn't really amount to anything. But uh, Yellen's recent visit caught my attention specific to, I wouldn't, maybe not a mic drop moment, but uh, it's kind of coincidental when, when, Yellen went, when Yellen went over there to have her uh, conversation that uh, the China, the, essentially put restrictions on the world's access to gallium and germanium, which are, uh, you know, precious metals, I think is what, uh, rare metals is what they are. And, and those items go into uh, the manufacturing of, of batteries and a lot of EV kind of technologies. So it's like right before she shows, uh, shows up, here's a little uh, zinger, you know, just kind of poked you in the side. Uh, if you dive deeper in the story, yes, China has a lot of those, uh, you know, rare earth metals, um, but it's not that rare. And there's other countries out there that can that can produce it. And the amount that those metals require, the amount required in manufacturing is pretty minimal in the big picture. So is it impactful? Yes, but I think it's more politically impactful than than um, an actual impact. My personal opinion I guess if you're somebody else making EVs or, or, or battery technology, maybe maybe have a different take on it. But my whole point in this one, Pete, is it seems pretty coincidental, or, or it's not coincidental that uh, um, that that came out just um, you know days before the latest meeting with China that amounted to nothing um, with another political uh, uh, politician coming from from the U.S. So I don't know. I think that this whole trade war is more passive aggressive than anything, right? You come out, you make nice, and then there's little zingers on both sides that, uh, that go off. So passive aggressive trade war. So a patter, I'm trying to think of an acronym, Pete, because I love those, P-A-T-W, trying to think how you would pronounce that. But I think that's the new term I'm going to reference when we talk about the uh, the trade war between uh, the U.S. and China. Pat, pat war. There you go. That's what I'm going to call it. Doug, there's actually already a name for it. It's called diplomacy. <laughs> and diplomacy is sticky and ugly. 
and uh, it, it's a dance, you know, there's, there's what we show everyone we're doing. There's what everyone believes is actually happening. And then there's what, what's going on behind the scenes to make it palatable for everyone's political outcomes. And yeah, this was clearly a don't forget what we can do sort of a moment. But we, we've, we've been just as guilty as that in the U.S. as any other country. It, it has far sweeping global issues, Doug, that come from it. Like the United Kingdom, when they did Brexit, they made an agreement that it's some absurd number, like 54% of the um, EU value in EVs has to come from UK and EU production. Well, most mm -hmm. of the cost of these EVs is the battery. So the inability to get these things is, is making it more and more expensive, more difficult to create them. And they may actually start losing jobs in the UK because they just can't live up to their expectations. And that's going to make it hard for these EVs to be compliant with the UK's requirements for value. So, you know, they're playing around with it. But at the same time, you're right. There are American solutions that we are working on that should be able to overcome what China's doing. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a little while and it's going to cost a little more. They just want to remind us, you know, I just want to remind you I can do this if I want to. It's, it's just another one of those reminders that they're not a paper tiger. If they want to, they can make life very, very difficult even if it's the short term. And, and it's more than just an irritation or annoyance. They can actually make it pretty rough when it comes to these rare stuff. But it's a, I mean, you want to talk about a topic you and I could spend a whole hour on. This is a pretty ugly one on, on what the different countries could, you know, pull from one another if they wanted to make life difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the but, diplomacy, yeah, the diplomacy of countries that have precious metals in the earth that are needed for battery production it's going to be a topic I'm sure you and I will speak about multiple oh, times in the future. It's not going away, buddy. No. But yeah. ready for my transition, Doug? Speaking of going yes. away, we, we, uh, we appreciate all of you coming today, but it is time for us to go. Here on Global Trade This Week, brought to you by our great friends at Cap Logistics. Uh, Doug, as always, it's just been a pleasure. Chef's kiss. And, yes. uh, you know, also thank you to Keenan back in the booth. Um, hopefully he's finished with his kombucha and he can do his two hours of of uh, sun worshiping yoga before he gets back to work. Um, but we appreciate everything that Cap Logistics does for us. I appreciate all the hard work you do, Doug and, and Keenan. And all of us can't wait to see you again next week on another exciting edition of Global Trade this week. We'll see you. Awesome. See you guys.